Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta, and joining me is Steve Ray. Steve, you know well, uh, he leads pilgrimages to the Holy Land, as I said earlier, over 200 times. He is uh, an outstanding author. His testimony story is told in a book called Crossing the Tiber, uh, and his defense of the papacy is found in Upon This Rock. He has recently published a commentary on the book of Genesis, which is actually an exciting contribution to Catholic biblical studies. And is also host and producer of the Footprints of God DVD series. Uh, you can follow his work at catholic-convert.com and footprintsofgodpilgrimages.com. Well, good to see you. Thank you, Al. Good to see you, too. So t- tell us about how hum, what Hamas means to you. Oh, my goodness. First of all, I would not be here with you on a normal day. I'd be in Israel with a group right now. Right. We've lost six groups, um, sold-out groups, to yeah. go to the Holy Land. And um, so we're, I'm, I'm here now because I'm not in Israel. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but anyway, what does Hamas mean to me? Hamas, as, uh, as the world knows, is a terrorist organization. They don't represent the Palestinian people. Right. The Palestinian people, most of them realize that Hamas uses them as human shields. When we see the tunnels that have been built in, uh, underground, yeah. under Gaza, and we t- think of yeah. all the billions of dollars that have been sent to Gaza to help the people there, we see where that money has gone now. Yeah. I've seen pictures of Gaza compared to pictures of, say, Dubai or Malaysia. And with the, and with the, money, with the money that went into Gaza, that could have been a modern-day Dubai or Malaysia or yeah. Singapore. Yeah. But instead, it's, uh, it's what it is because Hamas has used the money poorly. I have to say that Hamas hates Israel more than they love their own people and their own children. If they love their children, they would say, you know what? Israel's here to stay. They're not going anywhere. They're a strong military power. We're not going to get rid of them. And the best thing we can do for our children in the next generation is to live as best we can with Israel instead of against them. If that happened, the gates would open. The jobs would flow in. You've got Israel with money and brains. You've got the Palestinians with labor and resources. And it would be the most rich uh, part of the world. But because they cannot stand Israel, they are now destroying their own children's opportunities, and it's it's pushing towards further wars. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's a disaster. Israel has to finish Hamas off. I know that sounds terrible, but I'm going to say it because it's true, that it, Hamas cannot be allowed to exist because it's they'll never, even Hamas in their charter says that we are going to destroy Israel yeah. no matter what. Yeah. That is in their goal. Their goal is to get rid of Israel. And if you let them regroup... If you stop now and let them regroup, 20, 10 years from now, the same thing's going to happen all over again. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's amazing to me. Uh, it's not as though it, Hamas's intentions are somehow uh, unclear. Just no. read. You, there are two charters, the revised charter as well as the original charter. Yep. Uh, both. Uh, the, first, the, the I think it's in the third paragraph of the first charter. They talk about the obliteration of Israel. Right. Yep. And then in the second charter, they dance around the word, but then later they come back to it. Yep. And they say from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. First of all, there has never been a separate entity called Palestine. There's never been a country of its own. Right. It's always been uh, ruled by Rome or the Byzantines or the Ottoman Empire or the British. There's never been a country of Palestine. 
uh, as a separate country. And the whole idea of from the river to the sea, people chant that they have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> the river is the Jordan and the sea is the Mediterranean. And what they're saying is we're going to obliterate Israel so there's not one Jew left between the river and the sea. It's going to all be Palestinian again. Yeah. It isn't going to happen. And they're they're chanting genocide is what they're chanting. Yeah. If every... If every Palestinian laid down their weapons, there would be peace in the land. If every Jew laid down their weapons, there would be genocide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, and yet here we have uh, the area that we call the Holy Land. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, now let, today we're going to take some time to look at a day in the life of the Holy Family. And uh, this is... We actually know quite a bit about first century life. We do. Life. We do. Um, and and I, I think I love what you do. You, again, piece it together so we can get a real tactile and concrete sense of what life was like for the Holy Family. Where do you derive, where do you get your information? Well, I made a list of five things here. Basically, Scripture. Scripture yep. tell us a lot. We learn a lot about the Holy Family, the Jewish nation, the land of Israel, Jerusalem, all this from Scripture. So a deep study of that is important, but also a study of the biblical history and culture. What was it like to live back then, to read other accounts of people's lives um, in the first century? Archaeology tells us a lot. Yep. By digging around, you find out what kind of homes they had, where they lived, what kind of tools they used, the coins they had, and so on. And And for me... Having been there over 200 times, walking in the land, and I, I, my knees replaced in April, but before that, um, I used to run, which is why I had my knees replaced. But I used to run everywhere in Israel. I've run from Nazareth to Cana and back, and everywhere you could run around the Sea of Galilee. And, and to get to feel for the land and the people, because the people there still are, are similar. I went fishing all night with four Jewish, uh, two fishermen, uh, Jewish fishermen. I couldn't understand them. They were speaking in Hebrew and I had them, and, and and then we're, by the end of the night we're all sweaty and smelling. Were you on the Galilee? Yeah, the Sea yeah. of Galilee. I, and I realized in the middle of the night, man, I'm out here with Peter, Andrew, James, and John. You know, <laughs> uh, but but those are the kind of experiences to be out fishing with these two guys. I asked them a thousand questions, and I just took notes. You know, yeah. I wanted to. I'm I'm have an insatiable curiosity. I want to know all these things, and and also not and so walking the land. But I also have a good imagination. Yeah, my dad do. wouldn't. He, my father wouldn't get me a television. He he taught me to think and be creative. <laughs> so when I walk through the land, I'm always putting myself back. What it must have been like back then. Yeah. So those five areas, I think, and this is really a fun topic. And these are very earthy people very much more earthy than we realize yeah. and it makes i think it for example statues of mary jesus and joseph okay joseph is always holding a flower very and he's so nice you know mm -hmm. he's like a feminine yeah. joseph i don't think that does anything for men to be manly men if if that's the way you know and and mary just got out of the beauty parlor her hair is perfect and baby jesus has curly blonde hair he's right from sweden <laughs> and and you know i i think these images i understand why they make them cuz they're trying to show the inner qualities sure. of holiness and 
But the reality is, is that you wouldn't recognize those folks. These lived rustic. Most of the time, Joseph was covered with perspiration. Yeah. They didn't have toothbrushes and barber shops and dentists. Showers. And showers. And, you know, a lot of these people, you watch, for example, The Chosen, all of their teeth are perfect. You know, they're all, they've been to the dentist. They made sure their teeth are straight. Uh, there's no reason to believe I go out and visit the Bedouins out in the desert, and most of them have only a few of their teeth left, and the ones that are left are brown. (laughs) The reality is, you think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These guys were rustic, tough guys. And uh, we always view, for for example, Al, this is one question I always ask. I give this little talk called The Day in the Life of the Holy Family in Nazareth at the House of the Holy Family, where it's a cave, actually, where they live. That's, That's a very good point. That you need to really emphasize the it. cave, yeah. yeah. But but I always ask, and and this gets the topic going. This this is what I want people to realize: how rustic and how different they were, like us, but they lived differently than us. So I say, what is the first thing the Holy Family did every morning when they wake up? And everybody goes, "Oh, they pray." <laughs> and I said, then I get a serious face, and I said, "Is that the first thing you do in the morning when you wake up?" Yeah. And they all go, no, we go to the bathroom. Yeah. And so, yeah. well, why did you think the Holy Family doesn't? Would, that's right. Do you think they float three feet off the ground? They don't have bodily functions. The Holy, And then I said, okay, now the, let's go to the second question. If you live in a cave where there's no running water plumbing, where do you go to the bathroom? Yeah. And all of a sudden now people come off the, the view of this high floating off the ground. All of a sudden they come down to earth a little bit. And I yeah. say, they're just like us. Most of the time they walked around with camel dung between their toes, flies buzzing around their heads, smelling of perspiration. They didn't have deodorant. And the fact is, is that I've been there. I know what it's like, flies buzzing around your head. <laughs> when I was filming there, they would go right straight in my mouth and I'd swallow them before, oh. before I could even spit them out. They're very aggressive, the flies. And to live this way, and, and is it's very... Why do you think the Bible's so full of discussion of washing feet. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. 23 yeah. times it talks about washing feet. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's it obviously something that was absolutely necessary. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh how large was Nazareth? Nazareth was a small area, probably no bigger than two acres. Really? Yeah, it was just a small, small place. Yeah, because on one side is a cliff. On another side, there were the cemeteries. And, and it wasn't very big. On the other side is a hill. And so you can pretty much map out the boundaries. When we're there with our my friend and guide, Amr, he shows us the boundaries. that it can't be much more than two acres in size. They figured by archaeology about uncovered about 25 caves. They lived in caves on the hillside. In Israel, you lived with what you could get. If you lived in hills with natural caves, you expanded the caves and you lived in those. If you lived in Capernaum, it's flat, but it's all balsamic rocks. So you build stones out of the balsamic rocks. Hmm. So you people built what they had, or they lived in what they, they didn't have semi-trucks bringing lumber and back right, and forth, right. you know? So the cave would, would serve as the basis yeah. for, how can you expand on that? You could yeah. dig it out a little bit yeah. more and make the cave bigger and, and flatten the floor so a family can live in there. Yeah. And and I've been out in the desert outside Bethlehem, and there's still families, Bedouins living in the caves just the same way. Now, there's the Holy House of Loretto we hear about. And probably what that was was the facade that Joseph built in front of the cave. Because the Holy House of Loretto doesn't claim to be a whole house. It's just a a 90-degree angle of, of a wall made of stones that come from the Nazareth area. So it's probably the front 
of the cave that Joseph so built. A facade. Yeah, a facade yeah. with a door in it so that you could have a front to the cave. Yeah. And when you go there today, I've been down in the cave. Uh, there's two actually now. One is over the church, under the Church of Annunciation where Mary lived with Joachim and Anna. That's where she lived as a little girl uh, until she got older. And um, that's where that's where she would have been. She was in the temple, but she was there when Joseph and her were betrothed. Yeah. And it says there, the word became flesh here. Then there's another cave that's where the Holy Family lived. Mary and Joseph are now married with Jesus. That's a second cave. Okay. All right. Want to come back? Continue on with this, Steve Ray, my guest, talking about the daily life for the Holy Family. And I, I've got to ask you where they got their water. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Steve Ray. Stay with us. And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Steve Ray. Talking about daily life for the Holy Family. Um, you know, what what was it like when they arise? What do they do? Where do they go? Uh uh, I'm, I'm curious. Where is water? Where do you get water? Well, you just turn it on the faucet. I mean, <laughs> you mean at my house or in Nazareth? <laughs> in Nazareth. <laughs> well, you know, we're so used to getting up in the morning and, and uh, using the restroom and going into the kitchen and turning on the sink and making coffee. But the, the, in reality, is living in caves. There was no water source in Nazareth, and water was is essential. We don't pay much attention to it in our culture because it's always there. Bottled water everywhere, yeah, faucets. Yeah. I can step out of your office here and get and turn on the faucet. Yeah. But th- there was a well, a spring of a well kind of a thing, and it's 15 minutes walk away. And so they had to bring the water from there to their village. So every morning, and this was, men did not do this. This was women's work. Any story you read about the um, uh, life in Israel, it's always the women that are at the well getting the water. Remember, even the woman at the well in in Samaria. And so this was always the women's job. Men wouldn't do this. And they'd go every morning to the well to get water. And I gave you pictures here of 100 years ago in Nazareth of these girls going to that actual well. And they all have jugs on their head. They have jugs that maybe carry one, two, two, two and a half gallons at the most. And they balance them on their heads. And you can still see this kind of thing today in places. So they would get up in the morning and the women would go to the well and they would get the water and they would come back. So I always ask, and they'd go again in the evening, by the way, so they'd have water for the night. Mm-hmm. So I always ask, our groups, pilgrimage groups always have families with us. So we always, I always love to ask the girls, do you think you would like this job? It would be your job. Would you think you would like this job if you were living there? And they all go, no. And I said, I think you're wrong. Yeah. You know why? Because who else is at the well? All the other girls. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and this is where they would talk and they would discuss things and who likes who and whose mom was mean to them today or whatever. And the girls would then look up at the – because they didn't have it. watches. They'd look up. Oh, my goodness. Look where the sun is. We better get home. Mom's going to be furious. I'll see you tonight. I'll see you tonight when we come back. And this was the daily life of the girls. Yeah. And then they'd go home and they'd have to make clothing. They'd learn how to sew and to to uh, weave wool and all of these things and, and cook and make dinners and – so the, so the girl's life was menial to many degrees, getting the water, cooking, making clothes, taking care of everything like that, where the men had to go out and they did work. And where would you where would you go? You're in Nazareth. You're 
two acres here, right. there's only so much you can do. A lot of people listening right now are probably driving home from work, and they have a customer base. They have a lot of different customers they're working with, or, or their business depends on customers. If you're living in a little village of 200 people in 25 caves, where do you find work? You, you, your, market, your market shrinks. <laughs> yeah, it does. This pretty quickly. You go over I mean, next door to Josiah. Joseph, yeah. you fixed everything over here last week. You know? <laughs> so, but there was about an hour walk away, and I know this because I used to run there and back from Nazareth, a city called Sepphoris. Yeah. In Hebrew, yeah. it's Zippori. But it's called Sepphoris in English. And the Romans were building a huge capital city there. And they were drawing on skilled and unskilled labor from everywhere. And I think probably most of the men from Nazareth would get up in the morning and walk together over the hill for that hour while the sun came up and go down to Sepphoris and they would be working. Now, what did they do? As a carpenter, the Greek word is tekton. It means a day laborer, somebody okay. who works with hard material, somebody with calluses on their yeah. hands. Yeah. And what did they have to build with there? Stone. It's called Jerusalem limestone. Even today when we drive the bus around Nazareth, you can see the, the uh, quarries with the big trucks and the hydraulic equipment still pulling. The, somebody had to quarry those rocks. Somebody had to shape them into cubes. Somebody had to carry them and place them into place in Sepphoris. So when we're there, I show people any one of these stones in the walls that you see here from 2,000 years ago, any one of these stones on the ground, Joseph and Jesus, probably or could have quarried them, cut them, and put them in place here. Yeah. This is where you're walking right now. Yeah. So when I was, And we didn't learn of Sepphoris until relatively recently, yeah, it's, right? It's, it's a it's last generation yeah, or so. Yeah, a lot of things have been covered up and they've yeah. been discovered yeah. recently. Yeah. Because Jews really just came back in 1948. Yeah. And a lot of this has been discovered since then. So I would say to myself, I, the, one of the reasons I would like to run there and back took me a half an hour there and a half an hour back, yeah. so it probably took them twice that long, is what What did Jesus and Joseph talk about when they walked to work together? Yeah. Did Jesus? Did Joseph teach Jesus or did Jesus teach Joseph? Or what was the dialogue about? Right. Did they talk about sports or did they talk about only about the Old Testament Torah or mm-hmm. did they pray along the way? And yeah. what about if they went with the other men? Yeah. Did they stay away from them or did they are they I think they were just fun guys. Yeah. They were Joe Sixpack kind of guys that would just have a lot of fun and everybody liked them cuz they were happy go lucky, good working, hard working. Yeah. Yeah, they're mature. You would and they would, uh, you wouldn't have known anything different about them. I I I think that it would be amazing to think of the son of God having a conversation with his father. Yeah. On earth, his stepfather yeah. on earth. And what they would talk about, obviously they would talk about Torah, that, you know, it's a duty right. of the father to teach that to the son. But when the son himself is the word yeah. of God. How do, you teach, how do you teach God to pray to God? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, do you preach the, how do you teach the word of God to read the word of God? And this is before there were great theological yeah. discussions of the hypostatic union. Right, right. So, you, again, they were work, they had, there were some things they had to work out for themselves yeah. there. Um, and I think when you hear Jesus, you hear Joseph. I, I, my, I, I know you told me this even before that you similarities we have with our fathers, yeah. things yeah. our dads did, you know, idiosyncrasies. Yep. How, how do we know that um, that when Jesus tells the parables, a lot of those weren't taught to him by Joseph? Yeah. And and Joseph probably told him funny things like, Jesus, make sure when you get older that you don't strain out the the uh, camel or the 
you know, it, it strain out the camel and let the dust go through there. Yeah. Oh, Dad, that's a funny one, straining out a camel. Yeah, you know? yeah. That, and it's so you have this. You when you see Jesus, you probably see Joseph and Mary too, because they're family. Yeah, his storytelling. Yeah, no reason to believe that wasn't picked up. Yeah, and that's what they did father. in those days. They didn't yeah. have television. They, right. They told right. stories. They yeah. told their family history. That's how the Eastern mind remembers generations and generations because they told it all in a in poetic form. Sure. Know? What foods? Well, the foods are very simple because, you know, we like a lot of meat in our country. That's what we like. But, boy, you know, the meat was – first of all, the Jews had a very limited diet. They couldn't eat a lot of the animals that were running around, only cows and goats and sheep, basically, or the gazelles. And you do, you couldn't eat a lamb much because that was so expensive. If you kill the lamb, not only do you, you lose all the wool you're going to get from that lamb for the next 15 years. You're going to lose all the milk. Mm. That's what they live on, the cheeses and the milk, okay. and all the more baby lambs that it's going to produce. Yeah. So you don't dare kill lambs. So when somebody does kill a lamb, it's a really a huge sacrifice. A Passover lamb, that's a huge deal. When your f- friends come over, you keep the, the fatted calf or yeah. the the yeah. special lamb, that is a huge thing because it's so expensive. But they would eat lentils. They had two ki- three kinds of grain, the two mains, and barley and wheat. Wheat was for the rich people. Barley was for the poor people okay. and the animals. That's, remember the little poor boy? They, they found him. He had two barley loaves. Yeah. And so they would eat smoked fish because that would come out of the Sea of Galilee, and that would be sold all over. You'd have mar- people doing the market, traveling guys. Mm. And they would do, you know, um, different fruits, dates and nuts and pomegranates. Pomegranates are mentioned in the Bible. They had cumin and dill, different spices that they had. So I think in the morning she would get some, maybe some um, lentil soup that she had cooked before, and they'd eat that and some bread and fish and maybe an egg. You know, they had chickens. It says, how often as a mother hen would I have gathered you? Yeah. Now, two things we don't think about is maybe they're eating sparrows and grasshoppers. Yeah. Now, this is weird. but Not on my diet. Leviticus 11.22 says you can't eat any creepy crawly things except those that jump on legs, crickets, grasshoppers, and locusts. They could eat those. John the Baptist ate them. This was a staple for people in those days. Sparrows. This says, don't you buy two sparrows for a penny? Do you ever ask, why would anybody want to buy a sparrow for a penny? Well, because they ate them. And even today in Jewish law, sparrows are kosher food for Jews. Uh, My my sister used to get uh, chocolate-covered grasshoppers. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those odd things where early teen years, trying to find weird things we'd never eaten before, and that was one of them. Yep, I've eaten them. I've eaten them over there. So uh, where would they go for worship on Sabbath? Well, people think that they would go to the temple, but there's only one temple. Right. That there weren't temples everywhere. There were only temples, um, unless they were competing temples. Like when the Israel broke off in the north, yeah. Jeroboam he built temples in Dan and um, Bethel, but they were in competition. They were not, and yeah. they put golden calves in them. Right. There's only one temple in Jerusalem, and that's where all the sacrifices had to be made. But if a village was big enough and had enough people, they could afford to have a synagogue, which means where they get together on the Sabbath, and it was a learning center where they'd okay. pray and they would teach yeah. and read the Torah. So you you see Jesus. But no sacrifices No there? sacrifices yeah. there. That okay. would be done in the, in the city of Jerusalem. So you, you would see Jesus stood up and he read 
on the Sabbath in the synagogue. Or Paul, when he'd go out, he'd always go on the Sabbath to the synagogues, and they would say, brother, stand up and, and share a word with us. Sure. See? Yeah. So this is where they would gather for prayer and, and reading of the Torah on Sundays, I mean on Saturdays, and they had the Torah scroll in there. And one of the things that they've discovered also is that um, the, the synagogues would have a chair of Moses, and they found one of these actually in, in um, Chorazim, and it's in the Israel Museum. It's really fascinating. Where the scri- Jesus said in Matthew twenty three two, the scribes and the Pharisees they sit in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you. So the synagogues had these chairs. They would sit in there, and it represented the authority of Moses for them to teach. So it was an authoritative teaching position. It, it was, and yeah. said Jesus. So whenever they teach you, then do what they do. Don't do what I mean. Do, <laughs> do what, what they, they say, say. <laughs> but don't do what they do because they're hypocrites. But do what they teach. And then the chair of Moses, what happens when we're the new Israel? So what happens when the church starts? Now we still have a chair, don't we? It's time right. called the chair of Peter. Yeah. No, it's, it's just fascinating uh, how that, that works together. Would a place like Nazareth have a synagogue? That's too small. It did. It, it did, did, though. Really? Yeah, because remember, it said that Jesus stood up in the synagogue and he went back to his native place being Nazareth, and he stood up in the synagogue, and he read from Isaiah, and it was the prophecy that uh, that the, the people would be healed and the blind would see and so yeah. on. And then he had the audacity, Jesus, to all these people that he'd grown up with who only thought of him as a carpenter. They didn't know anything. And he said, these words today have been fulfilled in your hearing. And they said, what? And they took him out to the cliff to try and kill him. Yeah, those are amazingly confrontational words. Yeah. Steve Holt here. We'll take a break. Come back. Continue the conversation. My guest, Steve Ray. Our topic, daily life for the Holy Family. I'm Al Cresta. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Steve Ray, looking at daily life. Uh, for the Holy Family, um, and we've been talking about you know what they eat, how they work, what they do on the Sabbath. Um, how often would they go to Jerusalem? It's about a hundred miles away. Yeah, yeah, it's about a hundred miles walk. Maybe seventy as a crow flies, but you don't walk that way. Right. And usually they would go along the Jordan Valley because it would be flat, and they'd have a source of water. But you know that Jesus one time went through the mountains of Samaria because he had an appointment, right. a divine appointment with a woman at the well. Yeah. But that was that was called the Via Supra, the Via Up, you know, that way. You could also go along the Mediterranean, but normally they would come down out of Nazareth and Galilee, down to the Jordan River, follow, you know, comes right out of the Sea of Galilee. They'd follow the Jordan River all the way down to Jericho. And then they would climb the mountains into Jerusalem. So that's why in the Bible it's always up to Jerusalem. You never see down to Jerusalem. 23 times it says up to Jerusalem. (laughs) Because from Jericho, you walk about 20 miles. You're going up 4,500 feet. Roughly yeah. one wow. four thousand one hundred twenty five feet. So and you're and you're going up that high up from the lowest place of the face of the earth, twelve hundred fifty feet below sea level, which is at the Jordan River. That's the lowest place on the face of the earth, up to three thousand feet above sea level in Jerusalem. So you're going up to Jerusalem. So they would do that at least once a year, and we know that from the story. 
in Luke chapter 2 of them going there for the Passover and taking the 12-year-old boy Jesus with them. Mm -hmm. And they would travel in caravans. They wouldn't go alone. The whole city of Nazareth would go together. Obviously, they'd leave the older people and some people to take care of the city, but the, the, the general people, the family would have to go yeah. um, unless they had exemptions um, because of age or whatever. And they would all go together in a big caravan. This is why when they lost Jesus, it was, remember it says that they came after the first night, they came together and said, where's Jesus? This is very interesting because men and women traveled separately, but at night they would come together when they camped, when they'd stop. And this is the only, the word we've heard a lot, the word synod lately. This is the only time the word synod is used. It's a biblical word, synodia. Mm -hmm. And it comes from this passage. It says that Mary and Joseph went to all of the synodia, all of those traveling together. The pilgrimage group traveling together was called a synodia. Mm -hmm. And they didn't find him. Why? Because he was 12 years old. When a boy was less than, at 13 is a bar mitzvah, right? Where the boy becomes an adult. At that age, prior to that, the boy, the ch- boys would travel the children with the women. Once you become a man at the bar mitzvah, 12, 13 years old, then you travel with the men. Jesus is right in the middle. So Joseph said, I thought he was with you. Mary <laughs> said, no, I thought he was with you. Oh, no, yeah. we've lost the Son of God. <laughs> Can you imagine the day walking back to Jerusalem? That's a whole day of walking back, and you, you're seeing Jerusalem 20 miles and you've got to walk. Where is he? Where is he? Mm-hmm. And then you finally find him on the third day. That would be terrifying. Yeah. It took him that long. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because they went a whole day thinking yeah. he was in the syn- synodial, right. the, the right. caravan. They realize he's not there. They have to sleep that night before they turn around and go back the next day. Yeah. And then they got to search. The, oh, and, yeah. and then Mary says, why have you done this to your father and I, the great distress? Which is interesting because Mary doesn't know everything. Mary has to live by faith like we do. Being sure. an immaculate conception doesn't mean she's God and she knows everything. Right, right, right. And, and why did you do this to your father and I? You, yeah. You've caused us great distress. And when he answered, even then it says, and Mary didn't understand what he meant. Yeah. No, I think uh, again, this is a. She's living with the, um, an unfolding revelation for her. Mm. You know. Yep. Um, and imagine she, she the, didn't get the full blueprint. Right, and imagine the words when Simeon said to her, "The fifteen-year-old girl with a pudgy little forty-day-old baby," and he said, "The sword is going to pierce your soul yeah. also." Well, how? I mean, a fifteen-year-old girl. You mean it's, a sword's going to pierce him and my soul also? What? what? And she had to live with that right. and trust right. God. <laughs> and as she said twice, it says she treasured these things in her heart, and in another place she pondered these things in her heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about Joseph and um, Jesus's uh, so-called brothers. Well, that's a, that's a whole hour discussion itself, yeah. but it's very fascinating. You know, the whole ancient church thought of Joseph as being an older man. I know I'm going to raise the hair up on a lot of people's oh. necks with this, but the early church had a, uh, there was a document called the Proto-Evangelium of James, right. which was very uh, unique to people. And by the way, if we have a feast day for Joachim and Anna, where did we get that yeah. those names? From this document. And That's in this right. document, it said Joseph was an older man. He was a widower, and he had 
children from another marriage. Therefore, the brothers of our Lord, brothers and sisters, were his stepbrothers from a previous marriage of Joseph. I can just see people coming out of their chairs right now um, when I say that. Well, I'm not saying that that has to be believed, but I will say that that's what the early church believed yeah. and what the Eastern church believes today. Okay. All the Eastern church believes today. It's pretty much a Western idea otherwise. But this document had a big impact, even to the point where we know Joachim and Anna's name from there. We talk about Mary. We have the presentation of Mary, right? A devotion mm-hmm. that comes out of this document. Yep. The, there's a lot of things in this document that we practice as Catholics, but don't know that it came from that document. Yeah. But there's a possibility that if Joseph was a younger man, that these were cousins, the brothers yeah. of our Lord are cousins. If Joseph was previously married, which is what the document says, and with your old, all the ancient church and the, even I was reading an article for, about origin from the two hundreds, and he was talking about Joseph being an older man having yeah. other children. That yeah. all the way back at that early time, and that in that case they would be stepbrothers. Right. Right. So, and the church hasn't defined it, and it's yeah. it, it, free to believe it. Yeah. Way. Yeah. That's. Um, I, I, I agree. There's ambiguity there. Uh, in the, the even in the, word, the Greek word that's used, it has a wide semantic range of meaning. Yep. Yep. Um, Joseph's death. What do we know about that? We don't know anything about it. It's it's a one of the sorrows of Mary that we don't think about. But imagine that he's been her caretaker and her partner in raising this very special child. Yeah, and. Now, somewhere between 12 and 30 years old of Jesus, because Joseph was there when he was 12. But then Jesus starts his ministry at 30, and we never hear of Joseph again. It's it's always uh, Jesus is the son of Mary. It doesn't say Mary and Joseph anymore. Yeah. Making you wonder, uh, you would think there'd be a natural question that would arise, and it's kind of curious that it didn't. Right. Making you wonder... Was there something that was commonly already commonly understood? Nobody bothered yeah, to think right, about it, right? You know, and that is that t- that is the case because some things are just so natural that people know they didn't feel it was necessary to write it yeah, down. But yeah. but but he, we don't know how he died. If he was an older man, that would explain that. It would sure, give more explanation to that. But um, he's called the patron saint of the happy death because it's assumed he died in the arms of Mary and Jesus. And if you're going to die, that's the way to go. (laughs) Um, So, But that's pretty much we don't know that other than – but one of the things is uh, St. Francis de Sales. I don't have the quote here offhand, but it's very interesting that he says, of course, Joseph was assumed into heaven like Mary was. He carried Jesus in his arms. He did this. So there are saints that believe that Joseph, because we don't know his tomb either. So and I don't think that anybody ever has claimed to have the tomb of Joseph. Oh, that's that's a curiosity and as well. And St. Francis de Sales. Um, I'll send you the quote later. Yeah, I hadn't heard that before. But it's a very strong quote about him being also assumed into heaven and being... Uh, I'd love to know the history on that. Yeah, I would too. I would too. <laughs> but it's been speculated about. It's a kind of a, a holy um, speculation that that is the case. Yeah. I want to um, – we've got a few minutes left here, and I want to um, uh, have you tell people what you're doing 
since you're not able to do the trips to the Holy Land. Yeah, we've lost six trips so far to the Holy Land, which is sad for me because they're all sold-out trips, and the people were so excited to go. Yeah, it's, uh, and you do a spectacular job. Yeah, and I, I love doing it. I just love sharing the land with these people, and it's 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 very sad for us. But in the place we have in April, and you'd have to do it quickly, and it may be the last time we do it because Janet and I are going to start slowing down a little bit now yeah. that we're getting older do more writing but we're going to do lords and fatima this april so it's coming up quick but it's uh it's already filling up fast and it's going to be a good trip we go through portugal spain and france see uh lure uh, fatima first and santiago de Compostelo and loyola and uh lords we've done this a lot of times it's a great trip we're also going to do ireland this um this later summer and that's we've done that too. Ireland is a beautiful country. I yeah. know that they're they're losing their Catholicism, but boy, the the, the heritage of it and, and Our Lady of Knock, where we go, that's a beautiful trip to go to Ireland if you want to do that. We're also doing the, the Saints and Shrines of Wisconsin uh, with Cardinal Burke. Very nice. We're going to do that. And the only Ameri- uh, American apparition of Mary in North America, yeah. we're going to yeah. be there. And Cardinal Burke's going to have dinner with us and celebrate Mass. Yeah. We also and have... Uh, uh, Bishop Rickon is up yes, there. Yes, right. He's a great, excellent, great guy. Excellent bishop. Yeah. We're also going to, and he's the one that declared it a valid um, yeah. a, a, a apparition. We're also doing um, a St. Paul Cruz, and uh, you've done that one with us. I loved it. And that one's filling up fast, too, and that that's a great trip. we got two wonderful priests coming with us, Father Dan Good and Father James Conlon. Um, we're going to see 10 biblical sites, and this one's starting in Rome. We're actually going to start in Rome and then take a ferry across and then do the whole uh, cruise in uh, through Turkey and Greece and see 10 biblical sites there. And then we also were adding, because Israel is closed down, we're doing the Saints and Shrines of France. We've done that before. We're going to see D-Day. We're going to go visit Omaha Beach, but we're also going to and spend time in Paris with all the great things, but we're also going to do the whole northern part of France, the Saints and Shrines of France in the November, December of wow. this year. So you, this is this is huge. I mean, this is a lot of work. Yep, and and um, people. I mean, you just, you just threw out so many outstanding trips. Where can people um, go learn more and meditate on their choices? Well, if you go to CatholicConvert.com, the top banner says "Start Go on a Pilgrimage." Click there. Footprints of God is our website. I've got them all listed there. I have interactive maps with them all and uh, the itineraries and okay. so on. And and if you want to see what they're like, you can go also previous pilgrimages. Yeah. I have two-hour movies I've made of every pilgrimage we've done in the last 10 years. So you can go on a pilgrimage through Poland or France or you know with video for two yeah. hours. But it's catholicconvert.com. Go to the top banner, click on that, and it'll take you to all the pilgrimages we have coming up this year. Wow. That sounds great. Yeah. Uh, you're not doing Poland this time? We did Poland in August of last year. Oh, was that o- Oberammergau? Oberammergau, we only did that when they had the play. That yeah. was that was also in uh, right after COVID we went there. Yeah, we still had to wear masks part of the time, you know. It was just, uh, yeah. But we, we were some of the first ones back on the road after COVID was over. We also have trips going to Israel in September, November, December. So we do have some going again, assuming things are going to be calm. We, yeah. Yeah, and and um, you know this is we were talking off the air earlier that uh, the the problem in Israel is is no longer uh, Hamas in the sense no that Gaza being wiped is out. pretty much but, under control. But there's concern about um, Hezbollah, Hezbollah in the and north, Iran. Yep. 
yeah. on the northern border now is it's heating up over there. Yeah, so you've got the Shiite wing right. of uh, Islam, Islamic Jihad yeah. coming in. And that's why we had to to postpone our May trips because of not because of Gaza. Yeah. That's not a real problem anymore. But it's in the north. Yeah, yeah, and so that's something to keep, and that's just something to pray for too. Yep. Uh, because all the news is, that we're hearing is coming from yep. Gaza. Yep. So again, all those trips can yep. be looked at. You can see the itineraries. You can see previous trips there. Uh, this sounds great. Thanks, Al. Yeah. Well, Thanks, you know, it's fun talking about the Holy Family with you. Yeah. yeah. Some uh, some people we want to emulate. Amen. <laughs> Steve Ray. You can learn more at catholic-convert.com and footprintsofgodpilgrimages.com. I'm Al Cresta.